This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shanning. Fordham professor Chris Toulouse has written what he calls a ghost story for parents and kids. Whatever Happened to Zachary is a sweet and intriguing tale of a confident and well-mannered little boy named Zachary who wakes up in a rail station without a memory and ends up on a special ghostly journey where he changes the lives of the people he encounters. This story is especially heart-tugging because the protagonist, Zachary, is based on Professor Toulouse's son, Xander, who was killed in a bicycle accident two years ago. Welcome, Professor. Thank you. Now, was this book difficult to write because of the loss of your son, or was it really cathartic to write? Oh, it was cathartic. I called it my art therapy. Um, Xander and I had characters that we played with. When we played cards, we would evoke the spirit of uh, ghosts we had met at the cemeteries, the Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx, where we had met Mildred, and the Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, where we had met Stella. And these are and people in the in the book, by the way. These are characters <laughs> in the book, and whenever we would play Crazy Eights and his car games, I would say that... Uh, they were out shopping today and they weren't there to help him with the shuffle of the cards and I would win and he would laugh and he would snort like they had a, a couple of pets. They had a parrot and a pig and he would snort like the pig and I would laugh and then at the end of the game uh, he would I would chortle like the parrot. Um, but uh, it was a humiliating defeat. <laughs> so I brought these characters back into a story and I, I really had no idea where it was going when I began the story. It was... Um, it was the first half of the book is just me setting the characters out and finding a level of uh, comfort at the world that I placed him in. Now, Professor, uh, Whatever Happened to Zachary really draws on this cute little boy and his experience because you're trying to figure out whether or not he's alive or not in the book, yeah. correct? Um, so tell me, give me a synopsis of the book. Uh, the story is that he finds himself with uh, a, a, a couple of old ladies who are not quite who they seem to be at first, and really it takes the... I have planned this in terms of three stories, and you don't really find out who they are until the end of the third one. Um, they look like a couple of witches to the neighbors, but they wind up being far more than that. And it's an ensemble. There's the story of his relationship with these two, uh, what look like witches, and the landlord next door and his wife, uh, and the friends and neighbors that he meets. Uh, and the lane, and the lane is a, a strip of woodland that is down the middle of a block in an area of the city very much like Brooklyn is of New York. And it's about the characters that are around him and the environment. It's a, it's a Brooklyn story, even though it isn't actually set in, in, in it's set in a parallel universe rather than our actual uh, New York City. And I found myself trying to figure out what part of the city you were actually talking about because you referenced certain places that reminded me of certain parts in the city. You want to talk about those places yeah, and their relevance? Uh, well, it's in a parallel universe. Uh, so it's not New York. It's a city called Big Hat. Uh, and there are burgs in Big Hat rather than boroughs. And everything is just slightly off. Uh, as the book goes on, you'll find that the technology that they're used to using is about a generation or two ahead of ours. So they don't have to plug things in. Um, and they have uh, TVs that wrap around walls, uh, and they have um, they have uh, my phones and e-buy. So it's a parallel universe that's close to ours. It actually allows me to have some fun with that because part of the story of the book is he goes on excursions to places that seem very much like those that we know. There's not Flushing Meadow Park in the book; it's the Middle Park, and there's actually a Blackwell Island in my story as well. That 
comments on um, Roosevelt Island. So on the Governor's Island is Colony Island. So there are all of these parts of the city that we visited together that come back in the story. And Grand Central is not really Grand Central Station necessarily, but that's where Zachary is found. Yes. So tell me about that. He wakes up in Grand Central? He's being brought here for a purpose, and we never find out what the purpose is until the end of the book. And it's to do with the old ladies that he goes to stay with. Um, and he, the, the, it's one of the things I try to play with in the book is how um, our uh, existence, our lives aren't a matter of, of life and death. It's, it's, it's really more than that in the grand scheme of things. So that there are all of these um, statuses in between and a broader relationship between... Um, uh, at different levels. Yes, at different levels. And I had that... Uh, uh, I have quite a cryptic and mysterious uh, uh, story to unfold about our relationship to any creator. Um, this is a society that in the second book turns out to be polytheistic. So it's like uh, Hinduism today, or it's like the Greeks were. They have lots of gods, and they turn out to be real characters by the end of the story. So at the beginning it's Xander, and as it moves on it becomes a little bit more social satire about the world in which we live and also I have some fun in the second and third books teaching kids a little philosophy so that there is a character that comes into the story that is a cartoon Nietzsche and there's a cartoon Socrates mm-hmm. so, and the, the book has longer words than are in many children's stories so I think it's an opportunity for little kids to um, have their vocabulary stretched and some of the ideas that they think about stretched. Now, uh, also in this book, drawing on two characters that I was drawn to were Aunt Mildred and Aunt Stella, who I thought at first were going to be kind of crotchety and curmudgeon-like, but they turned out to be uh, pretty sweet. (laughs) Especially in the second book. No, they... um, they turn out by the end of the third book to be the uh, greater goddess of magic and the greater goddess of mischief. Ah. Uh, and they've been placed in that situation because they were causing too much trouble among the greater gods. So they've been made to um, believe that they are uh, maiden aunts with large families. And they're actually in the um, what they call to him in the second book the uh, security systems business, which means that they... Uh, they rob banks, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> if you want to go way back, when I was a child in uh-huh. Britain in the 1960s, uh, the Ealing comedies from the 1950s were actually about um, uh, people that wanted to be well-to-do and respectable and actually on the side. They were, got up to all sorts of wire boy games, and mm-hmm. this is the inspiration for those characters. So oh. they're considerably less respectable than <laughs> Let on, but now they have a, a very good little boy. Yes. <laughs> and and they struggle with him because he comes to Zachary in in your book, um, What Happened to Zachary. Zachary goes and lives with them for a little while, and they have a challenge because they've been used to taking in uh, children, but Zachary is nothing like the children right. they're used to He's taking in. They're used to uh, fixing bad kids, and they have no idea how to unfix a good kid. <laughs> and he brings the cybernet into their lives, which is what the internet is called in this world, and he introduces them to all sorts of new ways. And they so resisted that. <laughs> at first they resist it, and then they find out find ways of making money from it. Ah. So part of the comedy is to have... Um, uh, a, a conflict of perspectives, not only between good and bad, but between whether you actually... Um, uh, Zachary is invisible to uh, adults and children who are mean 
if they are introduced to him as somebody that is loving, they can see him. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of tension and and wordplay about it that I've 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 enjoyed very much. And that's part of it. It's, so Zachary was uh, living with these two aunts. He got to experience them, and from there he ended up going to or trying to go to a school later on in the book. He he can't go to regular school because the teachers can't see him. So right. he has to and they're still to trying to figure school. out who and what he is because yes, they, they don't, don't know. They take him to doctors themselves. and <laughs> they well, don't know if he's living or dead or well, what I, he is. I and there are other uh, uh, characters that are in that in between situation mm-hmm. where some the uh, that. That's where the uh, Nietzsche and Socrates figures come in because they have been so famous from their lifetime achievements that they have attained a kind of um, a transcendental state. But there's lots of different states in the story as it goes on. So it becomes um, more complex and muddled. I must say it's not particularly serious, really. We're talking here about <laughs> about two old ladies that get bad-tempered and turn people into ostriches. I mean, there's one of the... There's, Really nothing bad. There's no punching, hitting guns. Right. There's nothing. They have adventures, mm-hmm. but it's a comedy of, of manners. I, I wrote the first book to give it as a thank you gift to people who have been very kind to us in the wake of the tragedy. And I knew they weren't going to read it because it was too much because yeah. it's very heavy. And they're getting over the loss of a very dear little boy and a friend. Uh, and so I thought I'd put the illustrations in so they could flip through it and see what it was about that way. <laughs> And then it occurred to me eventually down the line that uh, uh, the kids will pick up the book in the store because of the the characters on the cover because kids like to work out how people are related to Mm -hmm. one another. I knew, as an academic, you write a lot, but you don't draw a lot. So I drew a little bit with with Xander when he was here. And then I found that I could draw a lot more. So it took me this... um, fall semester to write the text for the second story and the entire spring semester to illustrate the story. (laughs) Now, in the book, Whatever Happened to Zachary, Zachary was in love with riding the subway, and uh, I think your son Xander, he, if I'm correct, rode almost every subway line in New York City. Is that true? (laughs) Well, there's a subway map on the back of the book, which comes from his station names. It's actually my layout. But yes, he was upset. He was one of these little boys and they're not that rare who is crazy about the subway system. And he rich, literally did ride through every single station on the system to the end of all the lines, which is what brought us up to the Bronx on many occasions. We went to uh, Van Cortland Park. Uh, we went to Wave Hill. Um, we went out to City Island. I mean, he was he knew the Bronx was green and full of apartment buildings. <laughs> Which I didn't know when I first moved here. Well, we also, I mean, we went places you don't even know are there. He discovered at one point, and this is, a, I want to use this as a story in the third book, that um, Staten Island's uh, uh, railroad wasn't a railroad like Metro North and the Long Island Railroad. It was a subway line. So we had to go out there and ride all the way to the end of it twice. <laughs> and he would announce the stations as we were coming into them. And one lady said, uh, I've never been so excited about getting home. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so did you instill this love of subways in your son? No, it was nothing to do with me. No? <laughs> He'd just be like, come yeah, on, Dad, let's, loved, let's go ride. He loved blues music, too, and we had no idea what that was. And he introduced us to the whole really? thing. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. No, he kind of arrived with adult tastes in in many areas. I mean, don't get me wrong, he was a kid too, and so French fries were the most important food group. 
he, he's a very easy straight man to write funny characters around. Yeah. I think that's why it began to work as a story after I had situated him in a world that I was comfortable with. It was um, easy to see how you would generate these little ensemble pieces and episodes. Stay with us. More Fordham Conversations is ahead. This Simon and Garfunkel song was topping the Billboard charts when John V. Lindsay was sworn in as New York City's 103rd mayor in January of 1966. His tumultuous eight years in office were marked by strikes, racial divisions, and fiscal problems. Hi, I'm George Bodarki. Coming up on this morning's Cityscape, we're revisiting the Lindsay era. That Cityscape this morning at 7.30, right here on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Robin Shannon on 90.7 WFUV, speaking with Fordham professor Chris Toulouse about how the death of his son Xander inspired him to write the book, Whatever Happened to Zachary? And I got a chance to view some of your video blogs, and your son seemed like a, a really, and I told you this earlier, a really intelligent, articulate, kind little boy. And and I also uh, read that he used to come and sit in on your classes. Yes, he was well-known <laughs> at Lincoln Center. He would come in for... Um, uh, at the end of the semester, I have a class party where the kids bring in um, snacks and drinks and uh, we watch YouTube videos. It's mm -hmm. sort of a way to sign the semester off with a smile. And he would come and um, take attendance and introduce the videos and make sure people had signed the sheet. And he also led my field trips uh, as, a, as an urbanist in the political science department. I do trips to Roosevelt Island and Battery Park City. And we also go across the uh, Hudson to Jersey City. And he led those trips, quite literally. He would um, bark at students. And he was considerably less forgiving than his father about <laughs> student lateness. I was always amazed they even turned up on a Saturday on their own time. But he would berate them for being late. <laughs> and um, could you share the story that's on one of the blogs called Unique Wisdom? Oh, yes. I, there's a whole bunch of stories about the kind of character that he was. He was funny and ornery in his own little way. He would um, insist that uh, you shouldn't download music. You had, had to come off CDs because otherwise you couldn't read what it was about. And that was like eating something that was bad for you. Um <laughs> He, and he's very moral, like Zachary in the book. Yes. <laughs> well, it, it was there was a lot to build on there. He was um, his big thing about games was teaching other people to play them, so he wouldn't need to win in that sense. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a well, I use this. It's quite true that he would torment little kids when they were all playing <laughs> snakes and ladders by making them play until everyone had won. <laughs> Well, like Zachary did yeah. in the book. <laughs> so there's, it was. It's, but that shows a kindness. That shows a willingness to learn and teach. Well, both of his parents were teachers, and I think he saw us spending a lot of time doing things for other people. Yeah. And that was, uh, he, he he at school he flourished in the year where the teacher made him a deputy, and he would start. He was able to uh, run things on her behalf for other people. And so that part of the, if you have a, a very good little boy like that, and it's a very predictable character, likable character, then it's easy to, uh, uh, like a rubber band, stretch things off that center point, mm -hmm. which is what the, the st if you've, as a parent, if you've ever read your child any Paddington Bear stories, yeah. that this is the kind of uh, character this is, that um, he has his way of seeing things and the world is a little off kilter yeah. all around him. <laughs> 
and he's unique insistent. and interesting. Yeah, he's insistent on that. Um, and also, uh, you said you used to introduce, um, or Xander rather, used to introduce some of your field, tri- field trips. Tell me about the Jersey City field trip. That's the one where we go to a, a World Trade Center and get on the path, and I take them out, and we look at that cluster of uh, office buildings and apartment buildings. And that was the one where, rather than going to a central point like Times Square and sending them away and having them come back, sign in and sign out, um, I would actually go with them and conduct a tour. But there were times when he would mimic me, and I remember one classic occasion we're on the Hudson Bergen Light Railway, and he starts talking to the car about what they can see at either <laughs> side of there. And over here, you'll see Target. Here we are at Hoboken Station, the last stop on our trip. Get your cameras ready. The station is very beautiful. You can get New Jersey Transit from here, but you can also get the PATH train to 33rd Street. And you also get a ferry from Hoboken to Battery Park City. There's lots of choices. And the students, it was so, what was so funny is the students were a little embarrassed because, <laughs> you know, they would see like a, a little teacher. And then when he finished, uh, it was the passengers who broke into a round oh. of <laughs> Very enjoyable. So he had a way of bringing people together like that, which I have tried to um, uh, use in the book. Now, you know, obviously in the book, because of the situation that they're in, the the character grows with the story. Right. So that um, I've tried to make it so that he starts as an eight-year-old and finishes as a ten-year-old. Mm-hmm. And um, there are various in the ways that you can ever do this sort of love interests in the in the story to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep the the grands happy. Tell me about Xander and the Times Square field trip. Uh, the Times Square field trip was more difficult for him because we would stand in the middle of Times Square by the Armed Forces recruiting station, and uh, he took uh, he would amuse himself either by looking at the subways below in the station, or he would take photographs of some of the billboard electronic billboards that were up, but. He was that was his chance to be officious when they turned up late or they didn't come they came back too early. When they came back too early Your students. Yeah. Uh-huh. He would send them away again. <laughs> they hadn't finished looking yet. They would have to see more. He said there's a whole lot more out there you need to look at. Well, hello students. This is what you need to know about the Times Square field Check the weather and course homepage before you leave home. Bring strong shoes, a bottle of water, and your camera to take photos. This is where we meet at the Armed Force Recruiting Station in the middle of Dime Square, just across the street from Toys R Us. Have a good time! And he had to make sure they did it right. And he wanted to make sure they did it right. And he was just used to, um, I remember he ran a slideshow in class one time that he was talking to students about all the foreign wars of the 20th century. <laughs> but I was trying to get him comfortable in front of audiences. Yes. So that was the, he and was he a, seemed very comfortable in front of audiences from the blog postings I saw. Oh, yeah. He was. The uh, videos. He was. Um, I made them in order in the last year of his life in order to have something to show the students in, the, in mostly to make them buy the tickets properly on the path and on the on the Hudson Bergen Light Railway. But they became um, a way to uh, uh, look back on who he was. Yeah. Uh, and so that uh, 
I have had people tell me and mail me that never met him, that they have gotten to know him by seeing the fragments that are left on that page. That's so what I feel. I'm pleased about that. I wanted through the the books to give, um, uh, uh, th- to share his example, as it were. I mean, he's not always a completely good kid. In the second book, he's hell in wheels to get up in the morning, <laughs> as as he was in real life. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, joined by Professor Fordham Professor Chris Toulouse, who's discussing his book, Whatever Happened to Zachary. It's a ghost story he wrote to help him get through the tragedy of losing his eight-year-old son, Xander, who was killed after being hit by a truck. Now, Professor, this isn't really just a ghost story. I mean, you call it a ghost story for parents and kids, but it takes place in a parallel universe, and there aren't only ghosts. I mean, we have humans who aren't really human, or we don't know if they're human. We have extraterrestrials. We have philosophical beings. We have priests and parrots and pigs who communicate in a special language with an old man on a laptop. I mean, what were you trying to communicate with this book? The idea is that we're just one sort of hairless ape, but out there there's as many types of ghosts as there are types of animals. Yeah. So in that way, it's 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 sort of trying to um, broaden the imagine, uh, imagination. But um, I think in the end, uh, Zachary holds out for our traditional conception of 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 one God. Mm-hmm. So that that's probably where the the story will wind up. I want to keep it open to as uh, many different uh, parents have as different, many different faiths as possible in mm-hmm. that sense. It's not going to be uh, exclusive. Now, um, Xander, your son, loved computers, he loved writing, and he loved dance. And as a matter of fact, proceeds from, uh, I know the first book, uh, go to ballroom dancing classes. Yes. How did that come about? Uh, well, when uh, people gave us a lot of money after it happened because they had to express themselves one way or And could you explain other. what happened for those who don't know? Uh, yeah, well, after my son died and um, they get... In uh, a bicycle accident? In a bicycle accident, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, uh, he was killed while we were out cycling. Uh, it was a post office van turning a corner. And uh, he had been um, very interested in Dancing with the Stars and it was his big show, but he wouldn't take ballroom dancing lessons because he was afraid kids would tease him. Mm. So... We bought that uh, tremendously talented troupe of um, teachers. That They were already at the school, and what happened was they funded fifth years. A couple that uh, with the foundation had brought them in to teach uh, fifth graders ballroom dancing. And so the money that we raised helped extend those classes to Xander's oh. class, the fourth grade. So, so they got a chance to they take got ballroom a chance da- dancing to do classes. ballroom dancing classes. So last December, all of his friends actually put on a magnificent show, and there's a video of that on his uh, page as well. Yeah. So that And so whatever money we get in the future in that direction... Um, uh, we will devote to the ballroom dancing. So, Professor Toulouse, what's next? I want to write an illustrated story about the silent H and the sounds it makes because that was very helpful in teaching Xander to read. Oh, yeah? So my wife and I are hoping to be able to start again mm-hmm. so that I could bring his, hopefully his younger sibling or siblings through with this sort of set of story talks. That Speaking I've of that, do you have any other children now? No, we're trying again to, yeah. to get started, as, as many of you were 
are listening will appreciate it. It's very hard work and it's time consuming and expensive, but we hope to get there before very long. Yeah. And because uh, it's only been about two years since his passing. Yes, it's 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 it'll be two years in in September. Uh, and what makes it particularly difficult is uh, losing a child in that way is the shock, you know, because that they're there one moment and gone the next, mm -hmm. literally. So, it takes a long time to. Um, uh, come to terms with that and figure out how to live with it. And my story writing has helped a lot. You know, it's given me a space to be with him and have fun because one of the problems you have in that kind of situation is that you're just overwhelmed with sadness and you can't let the manner of his passing eclipse the wonderful life that he led. So these stories enable me to celebrate that and have some fun by commenting on the world we live in and also have some fun by uh, illustrating the questions that we ask ourselves about the higher questions about why we're here and for what purpose. So Professor, any advice for people who are going through what you're going through? Um, people who have lost a child or are losing a child? I think everybody knows what to do when a family has a happy event like a birth and a marriage. You know, people feel happy for you. But with death, people don't really know how to react. If they've had some time to prepare for it, the death of an elderly relative after a long illness, then they can reach a reconciliation. And, you know, maybe you go to a few funerals of elderly relatives. But it's the, the shock of losing a child. I think even for parents... Um, of children with terminal illnesses. It's just not something that's natural in those terms. And you have a lot of... Um, it's a big struggle and people go about it in their own individual way. So I think that it's important to be patient um, with yourself and with others. Now, uh, going back to your first book, Whatever Happened to Zachary, could you read maybe a piece of your, oh, your yeah. favorite the, part um, in the book? Sure, it's just a... And just set it up a little with, yeah, with what happened. it's a short chapter in the middle. Uh, what's happened here is that um, at Halloween, Zachary had created an enormous fuss and the ghost parade had gone all wrong. Um, and uh, so the, <clears throat> the the dean in the church decides that he should be sent upstate to a research institution. Because they still can't figure out what he they is. They can't <laughs> figure out who he is. And, they, and, of course, the problem in the book is that he can see... They're dead people, and he talks to them, and they're frightened of that because they hate little children. It's just how <laughs> oh, they're too noisy, they're too smelly, they're too living. And they, you wrote that they, they don't like all the things that ooze from Yeah, them. They, they, they hate that, that it's just disgusting. <laughs> they have a lot of fun with that. They call them that. flesh bunnies? Yeah, <laughs> they're, 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 to, to us, they're, they're like we find insects, right? Yeah. Oh, horrible humans. <laughs> so... Mildred and Stella have decided to try to adopt him in order to keep him around because they have gotten used to him. So this is the, the short chapter where they're, they're wondering what they're up to. This is chapter 20, Mildred and Stella's predicament. Mildred and Stella were not entirely sure what they were getting themselves into with Zachary because he was almost completely different from any child they had ever dealt with before, even their own. His problem was not that he was very bad, but that he was very good. They were used to straightening out bad kids. They had no idea how to unstraighten a good kid. It had taken them a while to realize what kind of predicament they were in. They were so totally unaccustomed to being politely lectured about how things were supposed to work that it had taken several weeks before they began to cotton on to what was going on. 
But then they began to notice how he got them to ask the landlord to turn on the central heating and then to come back and fix the sink in the attic because he had to clean his teeth twice a day and how he brought an electric fire from the landlords into their kitchen and insisted that it was necessary to keep his feet warm, which was clearly the wife's idea, and how he'd annoyed them into leaving the light on by the back door, which they were still arguing about, and finally how he browbeaten them into allowing a trembling toad of an actual living man from the cable company to enter their delicious freezing cold dark damp kitchen and install, the very words made them shudder, a cybernet connection. Apparently all they needed to do now was get a plum computer, which unsurprisingly meant they would have to ride the subway into the city. When Mildred and Stella told Zachary they didn't need the cybernet, Zachary was incredulous and demanded to know how they lived without the Omnipedia. When Mildred and Stella told him they didn't know what an Omnipedia was, he slapped his cheeks in disbelief and asked them how they ever found anything out. Zachary then explained what the cybernet was and how you could summon it no end of wonders and Mildred looked like she didn't believe a word of it and Stella tuck her, stuck her tongue out. Then he insisted by folding his arms in a very determined manner that if he was going to be staying here he refused to live in the dark ages. Mildred and Stella tried not to laugh. Very enjoyable. <laughs> Thank you. My thanks to Fordham professor Chris Toulouse. His book, Whatever Happened to Zachary, can be purchased on Amazon.com. Proceeds go to the Xander Educational Fund to subsidize ballroom dancing classes for students at PS29 in Brooklyn. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Next week, Mary Wilson will be your host. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us, George Bodarkey and Cityscaper next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. <laughs>